and I'm walking up and I see a client and a friend picnicking with each other. And one of them says, look kids, it's the dancing accountant. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this very show. Well, for this week's show, we have a vibrant, upbeat, and I must say a unique guest joining us. Nancy McClelland, the owner of The Dancing Accountant in the Chicago area, was our guest for this episode. You're going to very quickly pick up on Nancy's optimistic and happy and really just overall bright personality. But in addition to that, we get into some good discussions about business in general. And I really enjoyed the discussion about her own practice and how it's developed, plus how she got the name, of course. It really fits her so perfectly, and I think you're going to enjoy the story behind how she came up with that specific name the dancing accountant. So if you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please leave us a rating in your podcast app or write us a review. We just recently got a review I wanted to read. It's from Chris Top 40. It says, I love this podcast. I assign my students to listen to and reflect on three podcasts in my financial accounting course. The all students are surprised by the number of different career paths an accounting degree can take you down. This podcast is one of the best, quote, guest lectures you can find. I just love that. Thank you so much, Chris Top 40. On one hand, I feel a little guilty for creating homework for the students. But hey, if you have to do homework, listening to podcasts is not such a bad thing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that review. And as always, for everyone, if there's anything that I can personally do for you in your own career or for any accounting organizations that you're involved in, please reach out to me as well. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's guest. Here's the dancing accountant, Nancy McClelland. Well, hello, Nancy. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mark. I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, today we have Nancy McClellan, the CPA in the Chicago area that's better known as the Dancing Accountant, joining us for today's program. I find our guest in many ways, and one of those is from various lists that come out during the year. Nancy was listed among the top 50 women in accounting by practice ignition. And when I saw the dancing accountant title, I definitely knew she'd be someone that would be interesting to interview. Nancy has her own firm now, but her start in the industry may surprise you a little bit. This is going to be an interesting story for all of us. Well, Nancy, before we get to the present time, let's make sure we cover your overall journey in in some detail. You have an interesting background, starting in music, it looks like, and then happening into accounting, you know, through music somehow. So I'm really curious to hear about that. Can you take us through those early years? How did you end up being interested in music from an education standpoint and then moving towards accounting? Tell us about those early days. Well, thank you so much for asking about that because it's actually one of my favorite personal stories to share with young people who are trying to figure out like what to do when they grow up. As a dancer, I meet a lot of people who are younger than I am or through my nieces and nephews and friends' kids. And in mentoring them, I stress that there's no predetermined path you have to follow because I certainly didn't. I went to college at the University of Michigan, and I was interested in nearly everything I studied. I changed majors countless times, biological anthropology, linguistics, drama, 
political science. I mean, the list goes on. I just was interested in everything. And a wonderful professor turned me on to musicology, which combines music history and music theory. And it's a great area to study when you want to learn how to break things down for analysis and also learning to teach, which is what I was getting the sense was what I really wanted to do. And around that time, the Ann Arbor School for the Performing Arts was looking for someone who could teach music theory part-time and be the bookkeeper and office manager part-time. Oddly enough, I was the only person to apply for that position. And I really have them to thank for how I ended up in accounting. I mean, I loved teaching. Truly, I did. It still drives everything I do. And I went on to teach music theory at the residential college at the University of Michigan as well for a while. But what I noticed in my time at the Ann Arbor School for the Performing Arts was that I was really good at communicating with musicians, parents, and the students. And I shared their love of art. But I could also talk dollars and cents and keep things organized and bring a practical aspect to things that, you know, as artists, they didn't really have. And there were plenty of good music teachers out there. But as far as I could tell, not that many folks who could do what I was doing and bridge that gap. And so from there, one of the founders referred me to a world-famous violin-making studio that was looking for a business manager. And it was there, which was the best job of my life, that I got to host internationally famous orchestras, but also learn about accounting and tax. And their CPA saw my interest in talent early on, and she bought me my very first CCH tax guide, which I still have. <laughs> wow. I'm just curious because it seems like you have a natural... Mac for organization or accounting. I mean, do you have any family members that you can point back to and go, you know, grandpa, the accountant, and, and this is where I get it from? Or Yeah, for sure. Actually, um, my parents' child, uh, there's just no question that I was there. <laughs> and my mother is, we're all very interested in Myers-Briggs. And so we look at our letters all of the time. And my mom is an extreme P, which we, we call P for possibility. And my father's an extreme J. And so my love of languages and music and cooking that all comes from my mother, who is this very creative spirit who approached things very intuitively. And then my father was a, a CFA, a Chartered Financial Analyst, and he was the J in the family, very, very much organized. He had piles that basically had a ruler going around each side of them, and he knew always knew where everything was. So I think that the dancing accountant, the kind of personality of the firm really embraces both of those sides, right? Because I have this very accounting, closure-oriented, tax code memorizing perspective, very practical angle. But I also have my mother's free spirit and interpersonal relationships and communication skills. It's really the two of them together that made me who I am and I think found this good fit for me. Okay. I didn't plan to ask you that, but I just, as you're describing this innate ability, you know, sort of that you have, usually that comes from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's true. I look at the two of them and I think, wow, I'm, I'm nothing like either one of you, but I am entirely the combination of the two of you. Mm. So do I understand this right, that your first CCH tax guide, that came during your job at the violin manufacturing company? At the, yeah, yeah. It was a violin making studio, um, world famous, one of the, probably the top 10 in the world. Very lucky okay. um, that I found my place there. Okay. I was going to say, it didn't sound like a very small place if they're, if they're giving you a CCH tax guide. <laughs> 
Well, that makes sense. no, the violin making firm was very, very small. There were only a few of us there, but it was their outside CPA, the person who did their taxes. That's the person who I would call as the bookkeeper and business manager when I had questions. And she was the one who was just like, huh, you might want to think about doing this for a career because you clearly love it and you're very good at it. And um, so, yeah, she ran her, her own CPA firm and she was the one who was really my first mentor in accounting. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know we got a lot to cover in your later career, but before we get out of this period, I'm just curious. For some reason in my mind, you know, when I think of the business of music, I think of a financially difficult business. I mean, that's a, probably a bad stereotype on my part. I mean, what would we not realize about the business of music? If we haven't been in that, that may surprise us as accountants. Yeah. You know, yeah. What's the business? That's of a great music question. Like? So. Joseph Curtin, who was the violin maker I worked with, he's still a dear friend to this day, he used to say that making a cello was just like making a violin, except that it took four times the wood, three times the effort, but only fetched half the price. (laughs) And that was one of my earliest lessons in market pricing. So I would say, actually, that what stands out is not how different the business of music is. You know, it's a really broad thing to say the business of music because there are so many things you could do within that business. I think what stands out to me in retrospect is the opposite, that small businesses and nonprofits actually have much more in common with each other than they have differences. Even when you're talking about a violin making studio or a school for the performing arts, for example, or a theological seminary, which was the next place that I ended up in my career, they all have to deal with pricing, sales, finding a niche, hiring and retaining good staff, managing cost of goods sold and overhead, the part that's specific to the industry. That's why entrepreneurs go into whatever they go into in the first place, right? I mean, I'm always reminding my clients that they started their business because they were good at their core strength. For example, you know, you might be an amazing violin maker in this case, or acupuncturist or architect, or maybe they know the heck out of wines or bikes, or they're a great cook or a psychologist, whatever it is that they're doing, they didn't think, oh boy, howdy, I am really good at bookkeeping, accounting, and finance. So why don't I, I don't know, open a toy store? And (laughs) these places can't afford to have their own expert CPA or CFO on staff. And so I love the fact that I get to work with so many of them. And I do still have some great musicians as clients to this day, but their struggles are very similar to anyone trying to follow their passion, right? A musician trying to follow their passion as an artist is very, very similar to somebody who decides to open the neighborhood cafe and bar who might have gone to art school when she was younger or the violin maker that we were just talking about. The, The world of anyone who is trying to follow their passion rather than necessarily pick the most practical approach, those struggles are very, very similar. And I wouldn't say that the business of music is any harder or less hard. You really just have to look at the pros and cons of absolutely any industry that you're starting with. Okay. Okay. So you're at the violin manufacturing company at this point in your career. Let's let's go forward from there because I'm curious about your decision to get deeper into accounting and further your education and, you know, that kind of stuff. So take us forward from there. Well, I started my own practice well before I went back to school to get a master's in accounting and financial analysis. I actually was in a really toxic work environment. I didn't like my boss or the board. I didn't enjoy where I was working at that point. I really craved independence. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and I had just gotten engaged. 
And we decided I would take some time off to care for her and plan our wedding. And I was just going to temp in the meantime and do like outsourced CFO services. And as luck would have it, the first assignment I got was for a company that needed a lot of cleanup work with GP Dynamics, which was an accounting system I knew really well at the time. And they ended up hiring me as a contractor to perform the cleanup, but also to do the outsourced controller services. And it was completely serendipitous. And because in the meantime, my neighborhood of Logan Square in Chicago was sprouting up with small businesses everywhere. And when I'd be in a shop or a restaurant or meet someone and they'd ask what I did, I'd say I'm a small business accountant. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, I need me one of those. I got to get one of those. You know, are you free? You know, you had John Garrett on your show a couple of times. I just love him. I was the first guest of his when he started his podcast. I was his guest number one. And on his most recent interview with you, he was talking about how when he's on an airplane, he always tells the person in the seat next to him that he's an accountant because it shuts them up and and he doesn't have to talk to them the rest of the flight. (laughs) But I actually have exactly the opposite experience. The second that I tell somebody that I'm a small business accountant, Unfortunately, it happens sometimes when you're like getting a massage or I remember it happened on tax day one year I was taking a a lift to a bar because I was done and I didn't want to think about taxes. And and I said I was celebrating tax day and the, the lift driver was like, oh, you know what? I have some questions about self employed taxes and how that works. I mean, it people are just so interested in it. Everybody wants to freelance. Everybody wants to start their own business. I've never had to advertise. I only accept clients from the neighborhood or on referral. And it's always been very hard to say no because helping small business owners thrive is so satisfying and it keeps our communities healthy and connected. And my husband and staff have had to rein me in because you know it's, it's really difficult. So it actually was, gosh, I think five years after I started my own firm before I went back to school and started on my master's. Wow. Okay. I'm going to resist the urge to make some comments about John Garrett, just because that would be just too easy. (laughs) (laughs) He's a great guy. I love John. He's the best. Yes, he is. Yeah. We've had him on a couple of times and yeah. Yeah. One of the most hilarious accountants I've ever talked to for sure. For sure. It was a real honor to be on his first episode. Yeah. Yes, I'm impressed, and I feel slightly sorry for you, probably. If it was the first show, you know, but, uh, <laughs> my gosh. It was wonderful. Show. It was wonderful. <laughs> so it sounds like your practice started piece by piece and came together over time. Is that sort of the, how it developed? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It was because my first client was this place where I thought I was just going to to temp. And then they ended up being a really good fit and they and they brought me on as a contractor. And from there it was just one client after the next after the next. And I, I kept thinking it was going to dry up at some point and it just never did. It never slowed down. It just one person likes working with you and they refer you to a friend and then they refer you to a friend and, and so I guess technically it was part-time at first, but really only for a few months before I had a very full list. I think that people, they don't typically run into accountants who are so outgoing and gregarious. And so it's an accidental, easy sell, even when you don't think that you're selling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. So at what point did you decide to go back to school and, and when did you get your CPA certification? I went back to school in 2006. So that was five years after I started my own firm. Yeah, that makes sense because our official 20th anniversary is next month. So 
it's hard to believe, very hard to believe that it's been 20 years already. I chose a master's in accounting and financial analysis when I decided to go back to school because I was eager to help my clients really run their businesses. So not just do the numbers, but they often turned to me with questions that had nothing to do with accounting, you know, HR, business law, marketing, strategy. And so I looked at MBA programs and was really disappointed in what I saw. I saw mostly soft skills. I wanted to dig into the numbers in a really meaningful way and without any disdain for the importance of bookkeeping in that process, which was something that I saw in generally in MBA programs and even among many CPAs, I'm sad to say. I think that bookkeeping and accounting technology is a really essential and unfortunately undervalued piece of the puzzle. So I really wanted some hard skills. And my colleagues, they still always tease me about it, about how focused I am on hard skills, not theory, and I can't stand motivational speaking. And so the Masters of Accounting and Financial Analysis, that really suited me very well because it was all about getting into the numbers. First, how do you make sure that the numbers are accurate to begin with, right? How do you make sure that they look right? And then how do you go the next step and derive meaning from them? And then have that meaning help you determine a plan for the client? And I mean, God, I mean, it it took forever. It was very difficult to return to school. I mean, it it took seven freaking years. So yeah, it's hard to get through a program like that while you're working. (laughs) I mean, seven years is a long time, but it's just so hard to balance everything. I know it's often recommended that you take a break from your career when you go back for a master's, but for me, it was just so rewarding to learn so many things where I could immediately picture the client who would benefit from it and put it into practice. I mean, like I'll always remember when I learned to do a break-even analysis the first time and I did one the next day for a wedding photography client, and it completely redefined their strategy. I mean, I was suddenly so much more helpful to them than I had been before. And my master's degree, it was for me. It was for me in the sense that I wanted to be more useful to my clients. I didn't, you know, my rates didn't change because of it. My marketing, if you can call it that, didn't change. I I didn't get rid of some clients and bring on new ones. It was just a way for me to study topics that were going to be relevant. Okay. Okay. But let's talk about the dancing accountant because I'm curious, did you start from day one saying, I'm going to call my practice the dancing accountant or is that something (laughs) over time, (laughs) you know, that that you developed or, yeah, tell us the story behind that. You know what? Thank you so much for asking that, Mark. A client actually came up with that name. My firm was called, uh, drum roll here, Nancy McClelland LLC for the longest time. It was such a boring name. Yeah, not exactly catchy. I was actively trying to come up with a more interesting name. I thought about names that like reflected the neighborhood maybe in which I did my work um, or the type of people I wanted to work with. I wasn't coming up with anything that really made sense. And my friend Heidi had pointed out some time before that my external appearance, just in general, didn't match my colorful personality. And I was going through a period where I was actively trying to address that, you know, wearing more comfortable jewelry, like jewelry that reflected me and and wearing clothing that reflected me more. The same was true at the time for my company name. And then at one point, I think it was around 2013, I was on my way to a performance, a dance performance in full costume. 
it was a 60s style go-go dancing gig. I don't know if you're familiar with go-go dancing, but you know, like Nancy Sinatra, these boots are made for walking, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the gig was at Unity Park in my neighborhood of Logan Square in Chicago. And it was a community event where we were teaching little kids how to do go-go moves. It was really fun. And I'm walking up and I see a client and a friend picnicking with each other. And one of them says, look, kids, it's the dancing accountant. And I knew I had it. I knew it. The second she said that, I was like, oh, my goodness, that's what I've been looking for. Talk about something that reflects my personality externally, right? I mean, I guess you could say it's about branding in as much as it reflects the kind of fun-loving, outgoing person that I am. But what it really has ended up doing is it filters out clients or colleagues who think it's silly, right? Like, they don't want to work with me. I don't want to work with them. It's a win-win. If somebody sees that name and they know that I'm not going to be a green eye shade sitting in a desk in the corner and just crunching the numbers, they know that there's going to be something different. And then accidentally, after changing the name, it, it just ended up putting me out there in our profession in a way that's so rewarding. My blog, which is a huge labor of love, it gets more attention than it ever did. You know, all of a sudden people, they see this name and they want to know, well, what's that search result? I get to meet fascinating people who are interested in the story behind the name and people remember me. I mean, or at least they may not remember my name, but they'll remember that like outgoing, colorful, fun, smart person who really values interpersonal relationships. You know, that one, the, the accountant who dances, what's her name? And yeah, people come up to me year after year at conferences and they say, oh, it's the dancing accountant. She's back. I bet I had no idea it was going to be so catchy and helpful. I just wanted something that reflects who I am. And actually, you know, we were talking about John Garrett and his podcast, What's Your Hand? It was because Gail Perry, the editor of CPA Practice Advisor, had suggested to him when he asked her who he should interview, she suggested he get in touch. And it was, you know, I knew her from conferences and we knew each other, but we weren't close or anything. It was the company name that told her I was a dancer. I don't think she and I ever talked about that. Um, so it's just been such a wonderful experience. And of course, having a client say it just it just came out of the blue like that. It just feels it feels very natural and a fit. Yeah, it's hard to name a business, and it's wonderful when it is when you hear it and you know that's the one. And yeah, why oh, do I not knew. think of that? Yeah. This is yes, it's wow, that is perfect. I have to ask. Yeah. So. We've done several episodes where people have their own practice and they have a niche, right? I'm curious, after you started using that, has it, uh, other than filtering out people that take themselves too seriously, has it affected the types of clients you get? Have you started to develop an artist niche or, <laughs> or anything like that? Or Yeah, that's it... so interesting. I've never thought uh -huh. about it that way. I don't think so because, as I mentioned, I only take clients who are in the neighborhood or who are on referral from an existing client, right? Or from a referral from an existing client. I mean, I do have a niche, but my niche, rather than being an industry, my niche is my community. My mission from when I very first started things was that I wanted to be able to provide affordable accounting services to small business owners so that we keep the chains out of our neighborhoods. And that's the whole point of any of this. It's about creating a community. And I would say that where the dancing accountant comes in is that I've had the opportunity in this community where I feel so much a part of what's happening and I feel so, so much on the team of the clients that I work with is that I've had the opportunity to actually 
perform dance at various client events, which is kind of hilarious and and amazing. We've performed, one of my groups, the the Fabulous Ladies of Fitness, we've performed at Chicago Summer Dance, right? Which is like 500 people dancing along with you and watching you. I was more nervous the time I performed at Cafe Mustache for the Dill Pickle Food Co-op's talent show than I was performing at Summer Dance because these are the people who need to take me seriously day in and day out, right? Like these are the people who need to know that I am going to give them the correct advice or cite the correct code section of internal revenue service, right? So here I am in a silly costume dancing on stage. I think that one was with the Janes, which is the go-go group. That's somewhere where the dancing accountant hasn't changed the niche of the people I work with, but it does in a sense it has changed my relationship with those clients because they say, oh, hey, we're having a performance. Would you, we want you to be a part of it. So it changed the dance niche a little bit more than it changed the, um, than it changed the client niche, interestingly enough. Wow. Do you have a separate charge code for that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't that. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Oh, I've listened to too many podcasts about about anything. <laughs> too funny. <laughs> so, if your career and your business, your future goes exactly as you'd like it to go, what does that look like? What do you want to be able to look back and say, "I accomplished this"? You know, I actually have a really tangible next step there. It was something that I was working on pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic threw it for a loop. But I am definitely getting back toward working on this. I'm trying to get to a point where my staff can handle most of the day-to-day work and I can really focus on education, which, as I mentioned earlier, I think that flipping around to different topics and different majors when I was in college, it's just because I'm I'm interested in so many different things. I love learning, but I also love passing along what I what I learn. I always joke with my husband that when I have my midlife crisis, I'm going to become a tour guide because I think I just love teaching people. People things. And so I think I would, I would really love to focus on education in my business for my staff, as well as for my clients and through presentations and blog posts for the small business owner public and their trusted advisors so that it's not just the clients that I have, but really making a difference kind of in, in the wider array of small businesses and the people that work with them. I mean, it would just be amazing if I could spend my days researching and writing, presenting, teaching, and meeting with clients. I mean, that would be just heaven to me. I also do a lot of webinars and sessions with the Bookkeeping Buds, which is this wonderful professional group. You had mentioned the Top 50 Women in Accounting Award earlier, but it's possible that my Bookkeeping Bud of the Year Award this past year was even a, a greater honor than that one. They're a wonderful <laughs> group of bookkeepers, of women bookkeepers who we all have different strengths, different abilities. And we have a Slack channel that's just fantastic that we spend a lot of time helping each other out. And this past year with the pandemic, that's just been one of my areas where I've been offering a lot of education to them because if I can help through my blog and through teaching small business accounting advisors, if I can teach them something and then they are carrying it out, you know, maybe each one of them has 20 or 50 clients of their own, you know, where the people who read the blog, I mean, they're, I, I get thousands of readers a day, which is so rewarding. Then it's just like, it's not just me helping my clients. It's me helping the greater accounting community and small business community. And I guess, I mean, the only reward greater than that has been like 
how many of my clients are going to make it through this pandemic. That's, <laughs> that's been the best part of it. But really, like the reward of catering to this accounting community and being recognized for that and being able to continue doing that, that would be really, really amazing. I mean, as for what I've accomplished, like if I look back on my career and my life, I mean, it's going to take a lot of work creating workflows and procedures and training staff to get there, right? But I can see it happening slowly but surely. I wouldn't be making any progress in this area whatsoever if it weren't for Allie and Julie. They're two of my most dedicated employees and at this point, dearest friends, and they're incredible. But if I can get to that point, then when I look back and I'm able to say, here's what I accomplished, then I will have hopefully accomplished what my original mission was in the first place, right? To provide affordable accounting services to small business owners so that we're keeping the chains out of the neighborhoods. I would love to be known as someone who helps keep our communities vibrant by helping small businesses succeed, right? Like that's just the whole point of any of this. And my staff is a group of women who feel the same way. Our work really has meaning. So that is what I am hoping my future looks like. And I think it has a better chance of looking that way if I can create workflows and procedures and training materials so that I can step away from the day-to-day client work and the day-to-day administrative work and spend more time on interpersonal relationships with clients and educating clients and educating other small business owners and their advisors. That's what I would love to do. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I end every show with the same three questions and we probably better get to those in the interest of time. This has been a wonderful interview. From a career perspective, this first question is usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? My proudest moment, I think, to be honest, it was during the pandemic, not that long ago, when I was asked to give a presentation on applying for the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, in Spanish. In Spanish. Yeah, that was terrifying terrifying and so gratifying. I actually received a lot of feedback that it helped a bunch of folks who might otherwise not have had the resources they needed. Although, as I said earlier, all but two of my clients making it through the pandemic, that was a hugely fulfilling experience as well. So I would say this past year, this pandemic has given me a lot of opportunities for proudest moments. Is Spanish something you feel fluent in or was that part of the challenge? That was definitely part of the challenge. I would not say I'm fluent. I'm proficient. You know, I can get around. But no, it was difficult work to prepare it and difficult to deliver it. But it turned out great. I was really proud of it. I'm sorry. I have to ask because I live in South Texas. And so it would be a challenge for me. (laughs) I took it in school. That's about it. Oh, I just, yeah, I can relate to that. Well, second, and this is more of a request, I think, than a question, but tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we all learn from these. Sure. Well, this one's easy because it's something I'm suffering from right now. And this is advice I would give to anyone. You need to set up systems company-wide well before you will actually need them. You cannot keep it all in your head. If I had workflows, checklists, project management and billing systems in place before I ever hired my first contractor or employee, I would be in a very different place today. And a close second to that, only work with people you like. (laughs) I learned that lesson the hard way as well. Whether that's staff or clients, only work with people you like. You're running your own firm. You get to choose. This is your decision. Yeah. And we should do like episodes. Learn both those lessons the hard way. (laughs) I'm just that (laughs) on. 
Sounds like there's some stories there for sure. Okay. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Oh my goodness. I have thought about this so much. I'm thrilled that you asked this question to everyone because when I was a kid, I was sure that someday I would like become an adult, right? And to this day, I'm amazed that it still hasn't happened. I mean, you know, there's no magical moment where you've got it all figured out and you're done. Boom, I'm an adult. Instead, we all sort of stumble along doing the best we can do, thinking that everyone else except for us has it sorted out. And it doesn't work that way, right? It does not work today. Learn all you can, become the best example of yourself that you can. Don't look at other people and think you're the only one who's still trying to figure it out. We're all trying to figure it out. It's just that some don't admit it. And to that end, I think the best piece of advice I ever received was something that would have helped me as a little girl, me growing up, so much. I have a good friend named Laurel, and it was just when I started in go-go dancing. I would see her dressing up in costume and getting up on stage, and she would just, she'd forget her age. She would just be herself 100%. You know, she just was who she was. And I said to her, I wish I could be more like you. You're absolutely fearless. And she said, oh, no, no, no. I am just as scared as the next person, Nancy. The difference is that I do it anyway. And I get choked up every time I think about that because that's how I've lived my life since childhood. And here I thought I was the only one who was scared. I was scared, but I was doing it anyway. And I thought other people knew something that I didn't know because they were doing things and they weren't scared. So they must be better at it than I am. And when I combine what I've learned in my life that I wish I could communicate to my younger self and that piece of information that she gave me. I'm just as scared as the next person. The difference is that I do it anyway. I mean, that's been life-changing for me, but I wish I had learned it a long, long time ago. Yes. I hear uh, people talk about imposter syndrome, if you've ever heard that yes. term. And yes. Yes, absolutely. Only, I had never thought about it till I heard in the last few years, you know, that term. And yeah, yeah. We all think we're accidentally doing a good job and someone is going to find out that we don't know everything. <laughs> As if you could. I mean, Mark, you're a CPA. As if you could know everything that there is to know about accounting, it's impossible. There's too much. So yeah, just recognizing that you'll learn as much as you can and do the best you can do and that everybody else is doing the same thing, I think is where the key is. So true. So true. Well, thank you for taking the time for this interview. I knew it was going to be an interesting story, but I didn't count on as much life advice, you know, and general business advice that we got. So thank you. <laughs> this, this has been a wonderful experience for me. Thank you very much. Oh, Mark, it's been a really fun experience for me. I'm really touched that you invited me to be on the show. I mean, it, you've had a lot of pretty fantastic guests and, and it's an honor to be among them. Thank you so much. Well, that was my interview with Nancy McClelland, the dancing accountant in Chicago. I really thoroughly enjoyed this interview. There were a couple sort of overarching items or themes, if you will, that really stuck out to me. And number one is just Nancy's happiness, you know, her upbeat attitude. She was very refreshing to interview. You can tell she looks on the positive side of things. There again, just a very refreshing interview for me to be able to do. Thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing your time with us. And then secondly, we mentioned John Garrett in this particular episode. He has his own podcast as well called What's Your And? And I think Nancy's career and, and how she approaches her business 
is a reflection of exactly what John tries to point out, that people are interested in your and. People are interested in the other things in your life outside of just the technical expertise. They want to hear about those things also. So I think we're most true to ourselves and we're living our most true life when we're open about those items. When we share a little bit about our hobbies with our clients or with people in the workplace, I think only then are we really being our true selves. And frankly, at that point, we're the people that others most want to hang around because no one wants to hang around someone that's fake, right? So it just makes all the sense in the world. And I so love it that Nancy has found that perfect spot in her career and her life, and she's able to live that out. She has just a tremendous story. Well, that wraps up another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for this show. And as always, I know I say it a lot, but seriously, if there's anything I can do for you in your own career, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, we'll see you all next week. That wraps it up for today. After all, this is Where Accountants Go. Where Accountants Go.